Again, we have uh, points of interest is the title of the message, and it's actually continued from last week. Last week, we began to look at Paul's last exhortation to Titus. It is really, we said last week, a summary of everything that he's been saying in these three brief chapters. And as we are dealing with points of interest, uh, emphasis, excuse me, points of emphasis, we're really dealing with points we said that are to be stressed. These are points that are to be insisted upon. We need to understand that. These are points that are to be repeated. These are points that are to be driven home, just giving a different looks for us here in the ministry. If we want to know what's to be emphasized, what's to be stressed, what we should be repeating, what should be driven home, that is what Paul is trying to tell Titus here while Titus is on the island of Crete. And he really breaks it down into two categories. Things that we are to be involved in. That is the positive. And secondly, things that we are to stay away from. That's pretty simple to understand. Here's things I want you to get involved in. Here's some things that I want you to stay away from. Positive and negative. The positive is found in verse 8. And we saw it last week. These are the things that we are to promote. What am I to promote in my personal life? What are you to promote in your personal life? What are we collectively to promote as a local assembly? What is the area of our promotion and concentration to be? He doesn't leave us hanging. I'll repeat the verse. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I'll refer to that, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed, that is believers, believe God, will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. We spent last week's entire message on this. These things that we are to promote, we have learned from the book, is first of all the gospel that was clear from this chapter, verses 1 to 6. We are to be involved in promoting the gospel. We are to be involved, secondly, in the fact that we are heirs, it's been referred to several times today, we are heirs with Christ, and we ought to focus on that. We ought to be recognizing that on an ongoing basis, that we are heirs with Jesus Christ. Thirdly, <clears throat> the specific areas of chapter 2 that we ought to behave, whether or not you're young or old, whether you're male or female, all of that was covered in chapter 2. That is to be a point of emphasis. That's how you are to behave specifically. You are to have another one that's good for the church. Number four is qualified leadership. That is chapter one. Any church can have leadership, but you are to have qualified biblical leadership that follows the guidelines of this book and of Timothy's epistles. And then fifth, and our entire message was on this <clears throat> last week on the positive, we are then in the immediate context to be committed to good works. We are to insist upon it. You are to insist upon it as a believer. We are to insist upon this as a local assembly. Believers are to be devoted to good works. Now, we noted very clearly last week, good works are not for salvation. Salvation is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. A person does not get saved by good works. We are saved by the grace of God. We are saved by the work of Jesus Christ, specifically, who came, took on flesh, went to the cross, died on the cross, paid the penalty and price, which is death for our sin, as the one and only sinless, perfect sacrifice, acceptable to God, rose from the dead, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. There is no salvation found in any church, in any denomination, in anything that man could offer, and nothing that you or I could offer by way of good works can make us right with God. Impossible. God must do the work, and he has done it. So we are not saved by good works. Yet, we noted last week that believers all too often, because there's such an emphasis of not getting saved by good works, ignore good works altogether. And we noted last week in the entire message that we are to be committed to good works. That is what God expects. That is for believers, verse 8. And this is good and profitable for all men. 
We are to see that we are to be committed to that. That should be the product of our salvation. This is what distinguishes. We need to see this again, and I'll move on from it. But we need to see this is what should be distinguishing a believer from an unbeliever. Believer should have good works as a product. Unbeliever may be thinking of good works for salvation, but they don't even really get concerned about good works. And that's what Titus has been saying. Two last verses. We've seen them before. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 16. People that profess to know God, they profess to know God, chapter 1, verse 16, but by their deeds, by their good works, they deny him. In fact, they don't have the good works, being detestable, disobedient, worthless for any good work or any good deed. And he says that's what distinguished an unbeliever. That distinguished those who just profess Christ, but their life doesn't support it. They're not concerned about others. They're not reaching out. They're not allowing the works to be seen as it goes through their life. In chapter 3, verse 8, right here, he clearly says we are to be engaged in the good works. So that is a distinction. Today, we are to look at things we are to stay away from. That's the positive. And I challenged all of us last week, when is the last time, honestly, that you and I have been engaged in good works? We should be engaged in them all the time, especially toward the household of God, but also toward those who are outside. Now we come to the second one, things that we ought to stay away from. We love the positive, and I know that today there's such a push on the concept of just being positive, 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 positive. Well, we need the positive, and we need that reinforcement, but we also need to understand what we ought to stay away from. Isn't that true with your children? As we're growing up, the children need to be taught these are the good things. This is what you should pursue. But watch out for this. Be careful. Even with my grandchildren, you know, be careful. Don't touch a hot stove. Stay away from that. You don't go play out on a busy street. Stay away from that. There are things to be warned. So that is a good thing. He now moves in to the negative, so to speak. What to avoid. Now, I don't know about you, but it may surprise you to see what he talks about. It is not what I would have expected to find in this passage. What do you mean, Pastor Dan? I would have expected him to say, look it, here's what I want you to avoid. What? Idolatry. Here's what I want you to avoid. Sexual immorality. Here's what I want you to avoid. Sorcery. Here's what I want you to avoid. Drunkenness. You would have expected, at least I would, if you want to leave a point of emphasis with me and tell me to be involved in good works as a believer, and then you want to tell me what to avoid, I would assume you're going to really rehearse that. He doesn't do it. He doesn't do that. Now, those things that I just mentioned, it is true and obvious throughout Scripture that we are to avoid idolatry. We are to avoid sexual immorality. We are to avoid sorcery and those things. That is obvious. Those are good things. Yet, in this text, Paul concentrates on something else. What does he concentrate on? He concentrates, listen carefully, ears up, no falling asleep now. Okay, it's warm. Listen. He concentrates on things that cause division. Things that cause factions in the body. Things that cause strife. Things that cause confusion and disunity in the body of Christ. He concentrates on things which make, listen, Christianity unattractive. Both to the lost and to other believers. That's what he concentrates on. Here is Titus on the island of Crete, and he doesn't bother with those other areas which are major areas. He concentrates on that which makes the body divisive. And he concentrates on the negative, that which will make Christianity unattractive to those who you might say, I want to tell you about Christ, and they look at you and say, why would I want to be a part of that? Or believers who 
while professing Christ, are involved in these things and cause even other believers to say, I'm fed up with Christianity. That's what he concentrates on. He says, my points of emphasis are positively you get involved. And negatively, here's what to watch out for. Now, before expounding this text, and you know I will expound it, I want to remind us, because it'll help, I believe, for you to see the depth of what he is teaching here. Before expounding on this text, just bear with me and turn to a couple of other passages for simple reminders. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Keep your finger in Titus, we're coming back. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to remember this. Verses 1 through 6. After displaying in three tremendous chapters in this book <clears throat> who we are in Christ and what Christ has done, he draws a conclusion and he says, Therefore, verse 1, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, walk worthy of the manner of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, this is who you are. Let's see it. Now watch, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Watch this. Being diligent to preserve. You don't manufacture it. Manufacture it. We preserve it. To preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as we were all called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You get the point? Keep the unity of the spirit. That's what we are to pursue and continue to maintain because we are one. Because we are one. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. Two more passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if we're feeling a few ouches already, keep turning. Use your other hand. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. First, for even as the body is one, the body's one, and yet it has many members. And all the members of that body, though they were many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Go down to verse 18. But now God has placed the members, that's you and me, each one of them, in the body, how? Just as he desired. You are right where you should be. You are who you should be. I am who we sh I, I am because God's placed us here in the body that way. Okay? Jump down to verse 25. So that there, are, there may be no division in the body. But that, and he talks about how some of the hand, some of the foot, etc. He placed us that way, verse 25 again, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member, watch, suffers, all the members suffer with it. One member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. One last passage. John chapter 13. You probably don't even have to turn to it, but I'll make you turn anyway. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. <clears throat> A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, don't stop there. Too many do. That you love one another, and here's how. Even as I have loved you. If you don't understand how Christ has loved you, you are not loving one another. We are not loving one another the way we should. But he says, even as I have loved you, that you should love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. What? If you have love one for another. Why do they turn to those passages? That's the groundwork. We are to endeavor to maintain the unity of the spirit of the body. We are members one of another. God has done all this work and brought us together from different backgrounds, from different geographical areas, from different uh, lineage, all of that. 
and he's brought us into the body of Christ. And now we are to be known because Christ loved us that way by that love. And then you now turn back to Titus, go to Titus chapter 3, and he says this, here is what you are to avoid. Verse 9, <clears throat> but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputings about the law, reason for they are unprofitable and worthless. But, in contrast to the things that we ought to stress, you notice that, verse 8? Those things were good and profitable. We ought to stress, we ought to promote, we ought to be attracted to good works, to the gospel, to those things. And in contrast to that, we are to avoid. What does that mean to avoid? This word, particularly, means to stand around, if you really want to get right to the root of the word. It's a compound word, stand around. Now, that could mean, and it is used this way, by the way, in Scripture, to stand around a person. So if there was a person in the middle, they were standing around that individual. It can mean that, but it's also the root word meaning to stand around means to turn around, to stand around. So if I turn this way, I'm now not facing you. I'm turning away from you. So to turn around or to turn away from, and it became known also to shun, to shun away from, okay? What are we to shun away from? He names four things, and I'll touch upon them quickly at first, and then we'll expand. What does he name? Not the things that I talked about earlier, but he names these four categories. What are they? Foolish conversations. What is it? Futile arguments or arguments that go nowhere. Avoid it. Two, genealogies. What do you mean genealogies? Were not the ancestry of the Jews very important? Absolutely. It was absolutely important, and God, even in his word, is very careful about that. But when he's talking about genealogies, it was used in a way to make people think that you were closer to God because of a certain lineage. Even the Jews thought that way. Because I'm a Jew and this one's a Gentile, I'm closer to God. Not so at all. That's what ended up happening. They had no end of desiring to just deal with genealogies. And if you were in a certain tribe, you were in. The other one was not. They were just a poor little tribe over here. To put it in the vernacular or the practical by application, because it was done then, and it was done in the early church, and it's done today. It's called name dropping. That people think they're more important because they're associated with this person or that person. Thirdly, arguments. Self-explanatory. Strife. Self-centered arguments that lead to nothing but a sense of superiority. We would know this in very simple terms as what? Hobby hoss. Hoss. Hobby hoss. New England accent. <laughs> right? It's a hobby hoss. That's all you talk about. Verse 4. I mean the other, number 4. What? Quarrels about the law. What? Avoid quarrels about the law. What was this? They were always looking for new ways to interpret and apply the law. The Jews loved that. Rather than just stick to the law, they had all their little rules that they would add. And they came up with another one if you didn't find one. They loved to do that. Rather than just rely on the law, here was the point. They tried to regulate God's life for everybody else. And that's why when Jesus came on the scene, you've heard that the law said this. Go back and look. That's not what it says. Let me tell you what it says. It's the whole book of Matthew. You've heard that the law said this, but I say unto you. You'll see it over and over and over again. Why? Because people were taking the law and they had so perverted it into their own ways of trying to regulate everybody else's life that they didn't even understand what the word said anymore. 
So he says, avoid foolish conversations, avoid genealogies, avoid arguments, avoid quarrels about the law. Now, before I go any further, understand some things, and I'm going to expand on this right home. Let's understand the context and the people on Crete. This is what they spent their time doing. Rather than attracting people to Christ, rather than attracting people to the gospel, and some of them had gotten saved, and rather than being concerned about getting under godly leadership and having the direction that God wanted for them, and that's why Titus was left there, remember, so he could help them with all of that, they spent all of their time in these things. How do you know that, Pastor Dan? Because the word taught us that. Go back to chapter 1. Look at verse 10. For there are, ver ver excuse me, there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Jump down to verse 14. Remember this? Not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing's pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God. There it is again. But by their deeds, they denied him. How were they denying him? They were rebellious. They were empty talkers. They were talking about things that go nowhere. They were using the law of God wrong. And they looked pious. The people on the island of Crete were not involved in good works. They weren't involved in serving one another. They weren't involved in advancing the cause of Christ. Let me stop right here practically. Is that what we're involved in? Is that what you and I are involved in individually? Is that what we are involved in collectively? Are we really involved in good works? Are we involved in advancing the cause of Christ? Are we involved in serving one another? Or are we involved in these other things? The result in the island of Crete, because they were involved in these things, was what? Confusion among believers. Believers didn't even know what to believe anymore. Resistance to Christianity by unbelievers. Desertion of Christianity by believers. What Paul was speaking about was for them to get back to the reality of what really to avoid. He understood that they had taken what God had revealed and got into areas where God hadn't revealed anything at all. But they said, this is what God was saying. Let me give you a practical example of that one real, real early on here. How about the rapture? There are movies that are made, and there are people that are always talking about because it's fascinating. What happens when the rapture takes place and you're in a plane? Does the plane go down, hit the side of the mountain? What happens if you're sitting down having a conversation with your wife? You just disappear and she falls over because uh, she's unsafe and, you know, everything gets disrupted. You have drinking a cup of coffee. It falls down, bounces all over everybody else, and people get into foolish stuff like that. What are you talking about? What, what, where is that going to go anywhere? Don't you think God can take care of that airplane if he takes care of the rapture? All debates and arguments that lead nowhere, that are senseless, that are unprofitable to the body, they only irritate and unsettle believers. Endless name dropping. People spend more time quoting church fathers and men of the past than they do the word of God. There are more people that can tell you about what certain so-and-so said than what the word of God said because they're spending all their time name-dropping. Issues where even the word of God is used. That's what it's talking about, the law. When it talks about their disputes about the law. Even where they use the word of God and we try to apply them to our own situations and make those situations the only way that other people can do things. That's what happens today. 
We try to regulate everybody else's Christianity. They were trying to do that. You need to understand when it says disputes about the law, they were using the word of God and distorting it to try to guide people's lives. They actually were going beyond the scripture. And some of you know many of the policies that would happen. That's how you even get into a Sabbath day journey. That wasn't specifically identified. That came out of the laws of the Jews. How you would wash and how you would drip water and how you would do all of this. And it got carried over in areas the word of God never even spoke to. Some of it did, some of it didn't. First, let me give you an understanding that this is not discouraging sound doctrine. We need to understand this. When it talks about to avoid controversies, avoid genealogies, avoid strife, avoid disputes about the law, it's not discouraging you to have, not to have sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is a must. You don't think so? Go back to Titus chapter 1. Look at verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word, which is according with teaching, so that he will both be able to exhort in sound doctrine. Look at verse 13. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely, so that they may be sound in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. He's been teaching sound doctrine through the whole book. I won't turn there for time's sake, but if you were to go to Timothy on your own, in 2 Timothy it says preach the word because the day is going to come when people won't endure sound doctrine. In chapter 2 of Timothy, in the first, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says maintain a standard of good works so that the word and the doctrine will be sound. Sound doctrine is important. Nor does this discourage discussion of doctrinal matters in the proper place, such as a classroom, Bible discussion groups, councils, certain meetings that there might be. But what it's dealing with is not the Sunday morning service, not during fellowship time, not during Christian growth classes. See, the concept is he's concerned about word, word, W-O-R-D, word battles. Word battles. Designed what? Sometimes to discredit the Bible. Sometimes to discredit the Lord. Sometimes to push a person's agenda. Sometimes to gather a following. Sometimes just simply to disrupt the thinking of believers. You think this is the only place he talks about this? I don't think so. Now take your finger, leave it here, take the other hand and go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Watch. Is this important? I think it is. Flush it out for me, Pastor Dan. Give me a minute. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. Watch nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere, watch this, speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. That's the stuff we're to avoid, stuff that's just speculation, stuff that lends people to confusion. Chapter 6, same book. Chapter 6, take a look at it. Same Paul that's writing to Timothy here. In chapter 6, look at verses 3 to 5. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, there it is again, important, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine confirming to godliness, what's that person like? He tells you, conceited, he understands nothing, but he's morbid interest of controversial questions, disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abuse, language, ev uh, abusive language, excuse me, evil speculations, again, or suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind 
and depraved of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. It's the same thing, the disputes. They don't promote godliness. All they promote is confusion. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 23. Very consistent. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce what? Quarrels. Where does that come out of? Go back to verse 14. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which are useless and lends to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself to prove of God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Isn't that interesting? Don't be involved in these word things. Be involved in accurately cutting the word, but avoid, there it is again, worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. You say, how does that happen? It spreads like gangrene. And he exemplifies it with Hymenaeus and Philetus. Men who have gone astray from the truth, verse 18, saying there is no resurrection. Can you imagine that? They had been involved in all of these discussions and all of this behind-the-scenes talk. And that was the emphasis of the ministry. And what happens now, people weren't even believing in a resurrection. You say, what does all of this got to do with application? Let me try to make it simple first. Avoid stuff like this. Can God make a rock that's too big to lift? That's stupid. That's foolish speculation. How many angels can sit on the head of a pin? Who cares? Did Adam have a belly button? I can answer that one, by the way. What, 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 what edification does that have? How about starting to date the return of Christ? It's all over poles up and down the highway, by the way, still. Recently, a man died that had to keep guessing and guessing and re-guessing because every time he guessed, he was wrong. And now he's with the Lord, waiting for the event that he dated several times. Stupidity. That's what it is. Those are the easy ones. Now hold on to your seats. He says to avoid stuff, Titus chapter 3, verse 9, that a foolish controversy, genealogies, and strife, and <clears throat> disputes about the law for they're unprofitable and worthless. He says that's what to avoid. Are you ready? What do we do today? The practical issues of our day, and here's some of them. King James' only version of the Bible. Now, I may offend some of the people that are here. Listen, we are dividing the church of Christ over issues like that. Are we attracting people to the gospel over that? Whether or not a person's using a Schofield Bible, a Ryrie Bible, a MacArthur Bible, a Thompson's Chain Bible, and on the list goes. Really? Give me a Bible and let me get it into an unbeliever's hand. Give me a Bible that I can read and you fight about those things. The timing of the rapture. I don't know, Pastor Dan, now you're really crossing the line. You show me one verse in the Bible that gives you the exact timing. Is Christ coming back? Yes, preach it with all your heart. Is he going to take the church out? Yes, he is because he says so. That I can assure you. gets worse. Did Christ die for the sins of the world or the sins of the elect? Oh, come on, Pastor Dan. That's a theological discussion. Yes, that has been going on since the beginning of the church. And you want to know something? Here's the bottom line of Pastor Dan. You're both getting to the same place. What are you talking about? If you believe that God died for the sins of the world and you believe in election and the only ones that are going to be in heaven are the elect, you're going to be in the same place that those that thought that Christ died just for the elect because the elect is the only one that's going to be there. And you both believe the same thing in the end. Now, that's an over-exaggeration. But I'm telling you, the foolishness, we have these debates that go on and on, and they divide believers, and they divide churches, and they, unbelievers are looking at it and saying, why would I want to go there? 
You say those things are important. They are important. Remember, sound doctrine is important, but there's a place for it. Trying to reconcile things that are unreconcilable. What are you talking about, Pastor Dan? We think we can solve everything. I'm going to tell you right now, in this audience, starting with me, and I believe in the reading that I have done, which is very limited in my Christianity, that no one has the answer to the next thing. How do you possibly reconcile sovereignty and the responsibility of man? Are they important? Yes. I'm going to tell you what I believe. The scripture teaches both, and I believe it. How it comes together, I can put in my thoughts and whatever, but it doesn't come easy. And yet we are fighting and dividing, and we are involved in factions and, dis and, and disruption like you wouldn't believe. I'm going to get hairier. Fundamental, reformed, covenant, dispensational. Are those things important? Yes, they are. But those are the disputes that we're having all the time. And I'm not talking about just having them. We're involved in, them in the midst of when we come together to worship or in the corridor. Legalism versus license. The entertainment world. We are fighting about those things all the time. Are those things important in our daily life? Of course they are. But we try to regulate everybody's life based upon little things that we know or we have come to understand. I'm going to share a personal experience with you. It's kind of difficult in some sense, but it's true. Many of you know I got saved out of Roman Catholicism. I could not get enough. And by God's grace, that's still true today. If anybody knows me, no matter what you think of me, I know this is true in my heart. I can't get enough of this book. And when I get saved, that's all I wanted. Why? Because I want to know the God of the book. Now, why did you bring that up? As a young believer, one of the most discouraging things to me, fact, was to watch what happened with the IFCA, was to watch what happened with the New England Regional, was to watch pastors that I looked up to that couldn't get along with one another. That was discouraging because they were always fighting. The men of God who were trying to lead couldn't even agree themselves. And it affected many, many lives. Fighting and arguing, can't get along. You begin to lose respect. You begin to not want to be a part of it. Things disintegrate. Often there's such an emphasis in our discussions about Christian liberty, dress, movies, music, entertainment, entertainment in, in worship service. And we are always talking about that. Let me challenge all of us, starting with this guy. Rather than having our emphasis on what? The emphasis on our ungodly attitudes. The emphasis on husband and wife relationships. The emphasis on unforgiveness, how it's ungodly. The emphasis on how we should be kind one to another. The emphasis on paying our debts in society, even financially, and not ignoring them. The emphasis on submitting to government. The emphasis on not being greedy in our own lives. We don't talk about that. I don't see many Christians sitting around saying, you know, I was too greedy the other day. We really, God's got a hold of my heart. I'm too covetous. How can you help me with covetous? No, it's not a discussion. Our discussion is, what do you think about this for entertainment? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? What about this? What about that? All in these areas that I talked about. Our emphasis is not on teaching the word of God today. Now, I can stand here, and I believe this with all my heart. I believe that is the emphasis of this ministry. Why do I spend all my time studying? Why am I trying to be this practical with you? Because that's what I'm called to do, and I want you to know the word of God so that you know how to function, and I know how to function in this world. The emphasis on any local church should be the word of God. It should be these other priorities. 
It should be on what I can give. Do we serve one another that way? What can I give to the body of Christ? Or is it, what can I get out of the teen group? What can I get out of the youth group? What can I get out of the men's group? What can I get out of the ladies group? What can I get out of the music? What can I get out of this? What can I get out of that? How about what you can give? Because Christ gave to you everything. The emphasis is in the wrong place. Reality, I believe that where we are in the 21st century, Christians are totally disgusted with, quote, the organized church. Second, I think unsaved are driven away from wanting to come to church because of their observation of believers. Third, I really believe that many people are starting small little churches simply because they couldn't get their own way and it's easy to do their own thing. Believers aren't having their needs met because we're not ministering to one another. We're not involved the way we should be in one another's lives. Christianity becomes a theology knowledge only without practical application to it in all of our lives. And we pride ourselves more on debates than we do on love. How do we draw the line, Pastor Dan? You can have sound doctrine. I could spend months of messages on this. You, you can have sound doctrine, and, and then you to avoid these things, where's the balance? I'll give you this, because I've got to kind of bring it to a head. Keep your finger here. Go to John chapter 8 first. I'll try to flush it out a little bit more before I close. John chapter 8. John. John chapter 8. Thank you for that. If you get to know me a little better, eventually you'll understand what I say. I don't mean just you. I got people that have been sitting in this congregation 25 years don't know what I'm saying half the time. What did he say? God's given me that accent. Sorry. Well, I can't blame him. It's my laziness, I guess, with the language, technically. John chapter 8, verse 24. Here's a good place to begin. Let me start with this. Are you a believer? John chapter 8, verse 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. That's where to start. Are you a true believer? If you're not, you're never going to understand any of this stuff. Well, how do you get to be a true believer? There's only one way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ said that he was sent of the Father, my only begotten Son, God said. Believe on him and you'll have forgiveness and eternal life. You can only get saved by trusting in Christ, period. Examine whether you're in the faith. Second, let the word of God be your standard. You're in John chapter 8, look at verses 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews that believed on him, if you continue where? In all your philosophy books, in all your theology books, no. If you continue in the word of God, then you are the true disciples of mine, and then you will know the truth, and that truth will make you free from all of these things that we're talking about. It will. How do I apply that, though? Though There are some non-negotiables that you should be able to come to if you study God's word. Let me give you some examples. Non-negotiables to us should be such things as this, salvation. What do you mean? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's a non-negotiable. Why? Because that's taught everywhere in scripture. What's another non-negotiable? Who God is. He's just. He's holy. He's a just God. He's a holy God. He is a God that is sovereign, regardless of what's happening in the world. That's non-negotiable. That's cover to cover. Jesus Christ, non-negotiable. He's fully God, fully man. You cannot deny the deity of Christ. You cannot deny his incarnation and say that you're a believer. That's taught in the New Testament. Avoid people like that. Those are non-negotiables. He is the only Savior, not one of many. He's the only one. Non-negotiable. What's another non-negotiable? The church. 
What is it? That it's subject to God, not man. Not man's rules. God is the one that's over it. And the church's purpose is for what? The edification of the saints. It is the responsibility of me as a pastor to teach God's word, not to add to it, not take from it, but to teach God's word so that why? We can function. That's Ephesians chapter 4 as a body and know how we fit in and how we ought to use our gifts among ourselves. Personal, non-negotiable. We ought to have godly lives, holy lives. We ought to serve the body of Christ. We ought to be obedient to Christ. You won't have any area of scripture that is different in that. Those are non-negotiables. Secondly, seek a sound local assembly. Ephesians chapter 4, I won't turn there because we're almost done, 11 and 12. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, the purpose of pastors and teachers aren't to have a good time. It is not to entertain you. In fact, I don't know about you, but I walk out of here sometimes beaten up. I've been told, you beat me up today. No, I beat myself up studying, and I beat myself up again. Why? Because I get into the word of God. It's not a matter of getting beat up. It's a matter really to see who we are to get back into perspective. Because we're all going off to jobs. We're all going off to contact with the unsaved world. We're all going into the battles that are going on in our own flesh. I need to know what the word of God says. Get into a local church that emphasizes the word of God. Concentrate on the wolves. There's a lot of false teachers out there. They look good. Listen, people say you shouldn't name people. We just saw you. Hyman Amos was named. There's time to name people. It's the Joel Osteens with the smile that you have to watch. You say, oh, Pastor Dan, you're really upsetting me now. Sorry, he's been on public TV and wouldn't even admit that Jesus Christ was the only way. He talks from the Bible. He talks about Christ. Watch out for sheep. I mean, sorry, wolves that are in sheep's clothing. There are out there. Benny Hinn. I could go on with a number of names. That's not my whole purpose today. Win together like this. Be together for the purpose of worshiping God. Be together for the purpose of serving one another. Well, how about those theological discussions? Is it okay to talk about you know, whether or not Christ died for the sins of the world or he only died for the elect? Yes. Where should that be restricted to? Your personal meetings. It's good to discuss honest questions in a theology class or around a cup of coffee, but not during fellowship time that you're not influencing the body of Christ the way it should be. You're just causing confusion. That should be for those private meetings. You want to have a sit down or you want to sit down with the pastor. Those are healthy discussions. You know, how do we deal with the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of men? I would enjoy sitting down having that discussion with you. But don't go away thinking you got all the answers. And don't go away bringing that up to a new believer in Christ. You're only causing confusion. Don't go start debating that with the unsaved. They don't want anything to do with it. All they see is fights and divisions. There's a place for that. But use it in the right place. That's where the balance comes. I have to... Kind of bring it to a close. Let, let me jump down to the last thing that I put in my notes before we close today. And then I, I'll start with myself. I think we need to ask ourselves, do I as a believer, with my discussions, with the things that I do, do I cause people to seek after Christ? Or do I cause unbelievers to want have nothing to do with Christianity and believers to want to avoid me because all they know is I'm going to be talking about things that are controversial. The scripture says be involved in good works and avoid foolish controversies, strife, and disputings about the law for those things will prove to be worthless. When I go in the rapture, if my dating was wrong, the Lord's not going to be concerned about that. And when I go in the rapture, if I use the New American Standard as opposed to an English Standard Version, I'm not going to stand before God for that. I am going to stand before God whether I was faithful to this.
whether I shepherded the flock, whether I served the body of Christ, whether I presented the gospel to the unsaved and had a heart. Have we lost that? Have you lost that joy of sharing the gospel and seeing someone's life changed? And just the satisfaction of, you look at those pictures on the board that are in the back. By the way, if we took all the pictures, we'd fill this whole room with them over the 50 years. But look at the joy and excitement of what God was doing and is doing. We become so negative. We become so pushy for the things that we want in running and regulating other believers in the area of Christian liberty. I can't do it, you can't do it. Show me. There's things where God said you don't do this. There's other things where you just let the Spirit of God lead in the life and he will take care of the other things. And we destroy one another. Folks, might God help us as the people on the island of Crete to get back to being in the right place of the points of emphasis doing good works, and avoiding things that cause nothing but disputes, arguments, and divisions. My God help us by his grace. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you for the patience of the people today. I thank you so much for your word. Father, I have to examine my own life. But every one of us in here needs to take the time to think. First of all, there's no question in my mind that there's probably folks out here that are unsaved. They haven't come by faith in Jesus Christ. It's all new. I pray that you'd open up their hearts, help them to come to see that they need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because as a sinner, they're lost. Even as we saw in John, if they don't believe in him, they will die in their sins. Let this day not pass that they come to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Father, as believers, forgive us. Forgive us for how we've often disrupted the body. We've often led to divisions. We've often dwelt, because of our own little hobby horses, on controversy. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Help us to be people who love to share the gospel. Help us to be people who love to understand who you are and want to serve one another. And help us to look for those ways that we can build up the body and serve and perform good works. Help us to avoid even those folks that that's all they're interested in, is their own little hobby horses or divisions or controversy, because it's unprofitable. And I pray that in this community, in our lives where we live, that others truly would see the light of Christ in us and want to know him because of the way we walk, because of the way we act. God, we are weak. We need your help. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit. Help us to yield to him that you might have your way in our lives. And in our lives collectively in this church, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.